following is a production of Government CIO Media. Welcome to Cybercast. I'm Kirsten Todd. And I'm Roger Cressy. We're pleased today to welcome Dave McCurdy. Dave serves currently as the president and CEO of the American Gas Association. After serving for four years as the president and CEO of the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers. Prior to that, he served for eight years as president and CEO of the Electronic Industries Alliance. Most importantly, Dave had a distinguished career in Congress where he served as a leading voice in national security. He spent 14 years in the House of Representatives as the member from the 4th Congressional District of Oklahoma, and he attained numerous leadership positions, including the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Dave, you've had an extraordinary career. It's great to have you here today, and you've been a tremendous colleague and mentor from whom we've both learned so much. It's great to be with both of you. I mean, you guys are experts, and I rely on you all uh, regularly, and you've always <laughs> helped organize our cyber summits, and uh, you know, you're, you're pros. Which I'll say, so the American Gas Association, Dave, you've, you've hosted this um, now twice, and you were doing it before everybody was talking about it. So one of the other examples of your leadership, not only in the roles that you've had, but in the space and truly um, in, in this arena, because you were thinking about those issues long before people were putting them on the front page of the newspaper. Um, and I remember the conversation we had back in, it was 2015, when people were talking about cyber insurance at your conference and looking at interdependencies. And those were really prescient conversations because uh, those became sort of the leads for executive orders and things like that. But again, long before uh, they were making the front page. So again, your, your leadership in many ways on this in this area. Ahead of the curve, as always. <laughs> well, I hate to say it, uh, you've been here long enough, but the... Um, as you know, uh, I was talking cyber before it was called cyber. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When I was not only in the Congress before there was cyber, uh, as we were developing the Internet, but when I uh, ran the Electronic Industries Alliance, uh, I was asked and honored to serve on the board of the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon. Right. And there I really was immersed with these uh, cyber geeks, these experts, I was the only non-technical person on the board, but I soon realized the, the value there. And so being ahead of the curve, we decided to form a joint venture and called the Internet Security Alliance. So in April of 2001, we formed this alliance. And on the actual 9-11 of 2001, I was in Tokyo presenting to the OECD a brochure, a pamphlet that we had developed, which was calling on boards of directors and C-suites to become more aware of this thing called internet security. So uh, it was prior to cyber. So it's, I don't know if it's being ahead of the curve, but it is thinking about it. If I took from 2001 till today, perhaps the biggest change in evolution here is the fact that you can't have a board of directors meeting of a private company, a public company, an association, whatever, without there being on the agenda a major cyber discussion. Let's start with a conversation about threat and how to manage risk. So there's a important element of critical infrastructure, obviously, that the gas industry resides in. How do you look at the threat space right now? And what are some of the biggest concerns that you have when you do look at it? Well, the one of the 
the basics of the natural gas system and the electric system, generation and distribution. Um, and I always point to the, the fact that most people don't realize there's 2.6 million miles of paved roads in America, and there are 2.5 million miles of natural gas pipelines. Uh, and these pipelines connect uh, across all sectors of the economy. In our sector, and as the uh, local distribution companies, the midstream companies, the pipeline companies, and even upstream, uh, we have <clears throat> our priorities. And our priorities, first one is safety. Now, I think it originally developed out of making sure there wasn't an explosion, uh, some catastrophic event. And we have the highest safety record of any industry and any uh, transportation sector, service transportation. Uh, so there's a lot of energy that's distributed <clears throat> uh, through that system. Uh, but over time, safety evolved and uh, became more broadly defined as security, safety and security, and reliability, <clears throat> and now resilience. So all of those kind of factor together, and cyber is now a critical part of that. 9-11 raised the concern of physical security. Um, just making sure, safety is historically making sure those are uh, secure pipeline systems and that there aren't leaks and that the pipe's not uh, corroded or eroding and that there's not uh, third-party uh, excavator damage and explosions, et cetera. Uh, but it has now evolved to, uh, in 9-11, someone actually physically attacking that system. But now, because of the <clears throat> interconnectedness of the, the system uh, and the more reliance on IT, <clears throat> there's uh, the development of operation technology, OT, and so um, how much of that is connected, how secure is that, and then separating that from the IT system, which is your billing and general business practices. So it's evolved to being... Uh, now, there's a, a real connection there. So um, it's really become security and resilience. Uh, the electric space has some other criteria in there, reliability, uh, because of outages. You don't see that as quite as much in, in the gas space. But since we are a critical infrastructure, if you want to do great harm to the economy, attack the electric uh, grid, attack the gas grid, attack the communication grid, uh, you would have um, some serious challenges uh, about just how the, the economy functions. So there's a weakness there, a vulnerability there. Uh, and I think we recognize that. So as you look at both tremendous capabilities aligned with malicious intent or the intent to do serious harm in your sector, and then you also talked about the now emerging interdependency between the physical and the cyber threat what are you focused on uh, as the CEO of the American Gas Association and the priorities for the sector in protecting itself and making it more resilient, the sector more resilient? Well, I'll, I'll divide it a little bit. First of all, there's the industry requirements, mm -hmm. and we focus a great deal on those. And those are on being prepared, defending ourselves, having capabilities to detect uh, and recover, uh, you know, the classic definitions uh, in cybersecurity. Uh, but I think when you're now dealing with this increased threat, level threat of potential nation states, it's even more um, 
incumbent that we have the cooperation and the full partnership of the federal government and governments at multiple levels. And there are a number of government entities with a lot of acronyms and names that uh, we can talk about. But in the energy space, specifically, um, Homeland Security, DHS, is, uh, has the primary responsibility for surface transportation, which includes uh, natural gas, oil and gas pipelines. And they also have water, other systems. Uh, that was presidential directive uh, that that uh, responsibility was given, and that authority was provided to DHS. So we work with DHS closely, and we work with TSA, Transportation Safety Administration, Security Administration Safety. Uh, now, most people think of them in terms of aviation, but in fact, they do have pipeline. Uh, and they've been doing corporate security reviews for years, and those reviews are based on physical safety. Uh, recently, they've added cyber. So there is a, um, <clears throat> a set of guidelines that we work with them, and we recently, just in April, updated those to include the NIST framework and other uh, best practices uh, to, uh, to modernize that uh, framework. And those guidelines, and, and I emphasize guidelines versus regulation, uh, because in my view, and I think most experience, every time I'm briefed, and it's fairly regularly uh, at a secure level, um, this threat evolves. And I've been on both sides, having been in government, having worked with regulatory authorities and in the private sector. Uh, regulations just take too darn long, usually. And once they're done, they become static and often becomes the kind of the, the minimum and uh, the lowest common denominator, guidelines uh, should evolve and they should be flexible and, and, and pliant. And we need to work in cooperation to make that happen. It's a, it's a $90 million effort to try to increase uh, their focus on cyber, which I applaud Secretary Perry for doing, and we've talked about it several times. Uh, I'm not exactly we're in total alignment on some of his other priorities with it, but I, we agree on this one, that there's a threat. And the, the electric space, uh, they have a program um, that uh, they call CRISP that actually helps monitor the external networks, electronic networks of uh, the entities, and they share information on the attacks to that surface so that they can kind of... Uh, align that with known threats and other suspicious activities to, uh, to go after that. You know, um, Tom Fannings, the CEO of Southern Company, uh, one of the largest gas companies, also one of the largest uh, electric. Um, <clears throat> he's very articulate on these issues and very involved, and he chairs the electrics uh, subsector coordinating council uh, on these issues. But he cites uh, that his company is attacked three million times a day, three million times a day. And they know those and they're able to detect those because they have defenses around their system. But they all know you can't rest on that laurel. You have to keep increasing technology. You have to increase uh, systems. But <clears throat> when we talk about threat and vulnerabilities, and I guess you could ask me a question, but I'm going here. But, uh, you know, I actually see the biggest vulnerability. It's not 
the ability to do a denial of service attack against an entire system and take down or ransomware or take down an IT system. Um, I still think it's individuals. You know, we talk about policies all we want. We talk about technology, but it's individuals that are still the gateway. And these spear phishing efforts, and if you look at the recent announcements from the intelligence community that I value highly, having come from that, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the way the Russians attacked the elect, election system and uh, Democratic Congressional Committee or National Committee and those things is by spear phishing, you know. And that's the way they've gotten into other public into, or companies in, uh, around the globe. Spear phishing in individuals is still the biggest problem. And we spend a great deal of time educating, testing our own staff about not opening, clicking, and all those things. Uh, and it's still the biggest problem because they are so sophisticated. They are so slick, and they try to uh, – and, and everyone does it now. And some of them are laughable, you know, when I open the email. Oh, okay, come on, you got to be kidding me. You know, I still have $20 million in Nigeria that I will, I will claim. It's Publishers Clearinghouse, West Africa. It's yeah, all good. It's all good. Actually, the Nigerians are getting pretty sophisticated. On <laughs> they are, too. Yeah, as a nation. I mean, it's, it's, it used to be kind of laughable in the right. faxes, but now it's, it's not quite so they laughable. They brought their A-game. Yeah, they're, bringing a, they're improving the game. So spearfishing individuals is a big concern, and I think it's a – something we have to be constantly vigilant about. Well, it goes back to the earlier part of the conversation, which was, you know, people think in cybersecurity, you've, it's the technical expertise that actually is going to create the greatest resilience and protection. But we've all been asserting that at the end of the day, it's the humans and the individuals. You have to know, everyone has to feel an accountability and an investment in their own security. And it is not something that you defer to somebody else or a machine, but that you have to take that on. So, Dave, you recently came back from a meeting of the Electric Subsector Coordinating Council. Can you share with us some of the priorities that were discussed uh, specifically as they relate to supply chain and some of the key initiatives that you were interested in? Yeah, first of all, I have to give um, a lot of credit to Essen uh, Electric Institute and the CEOs of the electric sector, many of whom are CEOs of my companies as well. So there's a, a real crossover there. And, you know, they started a number of years ago to looking at uh, cybersecurity and, and physical security. The, um, and a lot of experience, everything from hurricanes to now cyber events. And so they've been very proactive. As the gas sector, uh, natural gas is being integrated more and more into the power generation sector, uh, they've recognized that there's a need to include gas. And so in the last couple of years, I've been invited to be a, a member of that as a CEO kind of guessed, but uh, pretty actively involved. <clears throat> they had a meeting in Idaho Falls, uh, Idaho, which is at the Idaho Labs, the DOE Labs. But it's also the home of the old uh, ICS CERT, and they've changed the name now. It's still ICS, but it's part of the NKIC, and I won't go into the acronym either, uh, DHS. But between the two, there's a, a lot of really interesting and, and important things going on there. At the ICS, uh, they do this 301 training where they do red team, blue team, and they bring people in for a week, and they help them from the public sector to the <clears throat> private sector to really understand 
the nature of industrial control systems. And I should, should have defined that earlier, ICS. <laughs> industrial control systems, which are not only the, the brains and the nervous system of a, uh, any large organizational system, and those are critical. And so there's a lot of um, good instruction, training, and they historically have done assessments and we've used them and I've had them speak to my board, but they go to companies and they actually will help them assess their cyber capabilities and level of preparedness. Uh, recently, there's been some reorganization with DHS and some of that assessment function has now uh, gone to uh, gone to NCIC. But importantly, they're doing a lot of work there. So it's a great place. And in fact, my daughter who works at OSD in the Department of Defense and does cyber and uh, critical infrastructure is going out there for that course so, uh, in <laughs> August. So, you know, I, it doesn't... Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Not too far from the tree there. So uh, the other thing that DOE is doing, <clears throat> which I found interesting, is, um, you know, we discussed roughly this system called CRISP uh, for the electric sector. It's very expensive, and it's probably not as um, easily distributable and uh, employable as uh, some things as we would like for it to be. But uh, one of the things that they're looking at is um, a, a program called Citrix, uh, C-Y-T-R-I-C-S is the acronym. Um, <clears throat> and what they are doing there is looking at research on a voluntary basis of looking at the supply chain. So as we know, if you're looking at a system, and I'll take gas system because I know it better, uh, if you have uh, you know, uh, compressors and you have pumps and you know, pipeline systems, and some of those have remote capabilities within their OT environment, um, in those large systems, and the compressor is large, it's a building, you know, it's not just, uh, it's like jet engines, it's huge. Uh, there are a lot of parts, and there's a lot of parts that have electronic components in those parts. Uh, and it's important to know where those parts are made and what their function is and their ability to communicate with other parts and systems and therefore become part of that overall system. And so the supply chain <clears throat> in different manufacturers make them. So the owner of a large gas utility, they don't make the part. So they buy the parts. And so they buy them from manufacturers. And so the, the key is we want to make sure that the manufacturers of those components and supply chain are part of this um, partnership to ensure the security of the system. And... They've not always been included, but I think they are becoming more so now. Um, they're not the owners, but they're a critical part of that system. And so they are uh, voluntarily taking and going to test and evaluate the components and the parts of that as part of this uh, process. And I think it makes sense. Uh, they do it in the Department of Defense on critical weapon systems, um, I used to be on the Armed Services Committee. I'm familiar with that procurement process. Uh, I think it's uh, incumbent on us as industry to look at how we procure systems uh, and components to make sure that it's part of a more secure overall system. So question for you on government. We, we've, you've mentioned about regulation, and it's usually you know late to the party to... To, to say it in a certain way. 
what do you want government to do better? Or maybe a different way of saying is, what are your members saying, we want government to do X, or we want to see government do Y better when it comes to improving the cybersecurity of this sector? Well, there are a number of things uh, that government can do. <clears throat> First of all, <laughs> it would be nice if government had its own act together. Uh, <laughs> lesson number one. Uh, two is also enact policies that do no harm. Uh, and the third is really cooperate and collaborate and work with us. And I think that's where it becomes uh, most important. That partnership has to be a two-way street. They're always asking us for information. They want access to a system so they can, you know, monitor and understand it. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, the CEOs of, of our companies are so busy, they don't have time to go off in rabbit holes looking at this alert. And <clears throat> we created a, a program called the Downstream Natural Gas ISAC. There's an electric ISAC. There's a financial services ISAC. There's a telecommunications ISAC. You know, they're all there. But they're about information sharing analysis centers. So we created one. So the idea is to share information. Uh, but the information has to be actionable. It has to be something we can actually deal with. So um, I'm not as, you know, and fortunately I have the highest level security clearances. It took a while. And, you know, former chairman of the Intelligence Committee and at the time had a DOD clearance, but I couldn't get DOE information. Now, that's, that's silly. That's, that's not good security practice. So, and it's bad government is what it it's is. It's bad government. So we have to, to, to enable people who need to know uh, and who are patriots in their system that uh, we're able to get information and share it. Okay, and because people look at me, um, when I go back to my board, and not all of them have clearances, and I'm telling them, uh, well, I sent out an email once uh, and said, you have to trust me on this one, but if you have Kapersky systems uh, in your computers, in your IT systems, uh, take it from me and from those that I respect, remove them, remove it now. Uh, no questions asked. So it's important that you have people that have access, that have credibility in their sectors that can respond. Now, there are a number of CEOs who have SCI clearances. Uh, unfortunately, not enough. And even some of those briefs, and we've all had the briefs, lots of briefs, um, <clears throat> I don't, you know, the intent doesn't, I, 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 I'm not terribly concerned about that. I'm not even concerned about how a nation state might do something. But if it's targeted to my system and I know what the specific um, vector is, what the specific uh, type of attack is, we can learn from that or we should take action. And we need to get the ISA, our ISAC so they can get it out so we can actually repair it or change it. So I think that's the big challenge, right? If you are worried about nation state level capabilities. Mm-hmm. As good as your sector and your individual companies are, they do not have the breadth of capability to look at all nation-state potential threat vectors and be prepared for them. So where government continues to fall short is how do you bridge that gap? Because you should not be required to defend yourselves from nation-state level attacks. 
if the critical infrastructure sector of gas is now a target. It should not be you alone. So how do you get government to bridge that gap beyond we just got to improve information sharing? Because that's yeah. that's now cyber bingo. And right. we can talk, we can play bingo again at the end. I mean, what is the real steps we need in order to bridge that gap when it comes to the top shelf threat? Well, I think that's the current debate and evolution. Um, I had the pleasure of serving on the Defense Policy Board for Secretary Gates and both the Obama administration and the Bush administration. So guess backwards, Bush administration, then Obama administration. Uh, so in that, we actually had a, a, a debate about what is classic deterrence and what is the role in deterrence and how does that apply in the world of cybersecurity. And Dr. Kissinger and I used to have a real conversation going because in the old days in deterrence, the idea was to keep them outside your borders. Uh, but I told him in the cyber world, they're already inside. Right. And so that's a different level. So how do you work then? And um, I think there's going to be an escalating role of government, uh, government to government at some level in order to, to help prevent some of this, uh, to, to deter the intent, to actually uh, make it clear that, um, you know, Rand Paul said the other day, oh, I'm not worried about Russia because everybody's doing it. Well, that's not true. I totally disagree with anyone. And that's it's a fact, false, factually inaccurate. It's a it's a false premise too. And it's the wrong question uh, because it's one thing if um, you know. I still imply good intent to my government. Uh, I do not imply good intent to the Russian government to sow disruptive policies within our country or actions, upset our democracy, sow discontent, or potentially, potentially uh, destroy, impair, impede a critical infrastructure that affects the lives of millions of citizens. That is wrong. So that's not. The Chinese intent may be even different. You know, theirs may be um, intellectual property, theft, all those things, trying to understand systems. That's okay. The Iranians, we know the intent. They're just damned angry and want revenge and, you know, there's all kinds of history there. North Korea, it's a kook, it's a thug, you know. So, again, whatever. But it's a really good thug, getting better on cyber. They're getting better. Sony was uh, a first indication, and they've gone beyond that. So, yes. So it's an intent issue, but our government needs to be able to uh, make it clear that there are consequences. So the old discussion, Kirsten, in the old days we used to talk about, well, what's the level of attribution? Oh, we couldn't attribute, and therefore, you couldn't do anything. And I would tell you, I can't do it. I can't respond. I can't take on the, you know, a government, whether it's uh, some unit in Shanghai or some unit in St. Petersburg. Uh, but a government can. And so there's always been this debate about what's the role of NSA versus Cyber Command. I think they're now trying to sort that out. Um, this administration <laughs> may... There are those who, experts within it who would like to, but I'm not sure I trust the, the top leadership right now to, to be willing to kind of sort that out right, but we'll have to work through that. But the question is, there is going to be a role for government. And so, I, I think in this world there has to be, because when it becomes machine to machine, instantaneous, Internet of Things, the IoT, I mean, all these new, you cannot, there, there can't be this delayed intellectual conversation and reaction. 
And it's not like, uh, you know, the, the old missile, you know, defenses and instant, you know, fail safe, you know, the movie. Okay. Someone's not going to ride the missile down, but, you know, it's machine to machine. And so if there is a capability to stop it, to cancel it, to deter it, to block it, uh, or take action, then I think that's something that's a viable debate that Congress and the administration and the American public and business is going to have to understand. My biggest fear is today, and I've said this to good friends like Keith Alexander when he used to be General Alexander at NSA, I understand what you're talking about. I just don't want to be collateral damage. You know, the infrastructure owners, I don't want to be the collateral damage. But it's increasing to the extent today, I think that debate has to occur. So I think actually what you're going to see, and I don't think people are prepared in the private sector for this, to your point about the sophistication of the actors, how automation and artificial intelligence exponentially changes and improves the threat, you have to have government intervention. And it has to be a collaboration between industry that is qualitatively different than what we have now. Because right now, what industry is being basically being told when it comes to nation state is equivalent of duck and cover. Hey, it's coming in, you know, good luck, but, you know, hey, sorry, we can't do anything. That is unacceptable, and that is going to change. See, that is the change. I mean, before, governments may have the intent, but not the willingness to use it. What we've seen, they've passed that Rubicon now, and that's a dangerous trend. And that's why I was personally offended when, the, when President Trump standing next to thug number one, uh, the news are, uh, Putin, uh, that he didn't challenge him directly on this issue of cyber because that has escalated. And it potentially could be an escalation far beyond commercial world, far, far beyond anything we've seen before. To me, it has the potential to escalate into kinetic conflict, a real conflict, to under misunderstandings. And that's... Um, that's very dangerous. And that takes a level of sophisticated discussion and preparation and argument that I'm not seeing. And it disturbs me. And when I see people like Rob Joyce and uh, Tom Bossert and others that I've briefed in the White House on this no longer there, it really makes you wonder, you know, what is the level of understanding there? And so there's some uncertainty there. And quite frankly, <clears throat> I'm not as confident as I used to be that Congress can get things done, but it used to be you could get the Gang of Eight and others together and not have leaks, and you could actually have some actions that may help move things, and I think there has to be some intervention. I think there's some adult intervention that needs to be involved in this kind of discussion. I have one question following up from looking at how government and industry can work together. As you're likely aware, the Department of Homeland Security announced this summit, cybersecurity summit at the end of July. And the intention of that is to bring three sectors together to start talking about how can government and industry work together more effectively when the industries are coming together. What would you want to see out of a summit like that? Do you think those are the right sectors to start with and... How how can we move this needle on government and industry working together in light of the threat that you just discussed um, more effectively? I, I applaud them for d having the summit, and I think it's critical, and DHS is hosting, and, and I am participating on a program on ICS, actually, industrial control systems. So um, I think that conversation is real. Um, and I think DHS... Uh, 
has the authority and I think uh, the respect to try to, to elevate that discussion. And it needs to be a conversation and a real discussion. Uh, and there needs to be a lot of stakeholders there. Um, there's a lot going on in the Department of Defense and related agencies right now about what their roles are on critical infrastructure uh, and cyber uh, mission assurance. Uh, at the same time, you know, they can't be divorced from this conversation about the private sector. Uh, and I did mention those critical lifeline services and telecommunications and energy and, um, you know, people can say financial, they can say healthcare, whatever, but it, it's critical at least the, the energy sector needs to be at that conversation uh, as well. So um, <clears throat> I think it is what we discussed earlier. It, it's clear there's got to be very clear uh, lines of communication, clear understanding of mission and roles and expectations, and then who's accountable. Uh, and I'd like to know who's in charge, uh, ultimately. And there's a real debate going on right now. Uh, there's a jurisdictional challenge, uh, kind of scramble um, that is occurring between DOE and DHS and who's got what authorities, and we're kind of caught in the middle, and you got some couple of FERC commissioners saying one thing, and, um, you know, I don't think that's helpful right now. So there needs to be a bit more clarity and people understanding that we're all in this together. <laughs> we're all Americans who's trying to go about our lives and our business and provide services to ultimately our citizens, fellow citizens. And we're under threat and we're being challenged and we need to work together. And government, as I said, Roger asked earlier, you know, what should government be doing? I wasn't joking. They need to get their house in order. And then this is one of those areas they need to get their house in order and their ducks in line and speak with one voice, have a clear uh, direction, and working, I think, collaboratively and in partnership. And they want to, but sometimes, they, you know, stumbling to get there. One of the values in our sector is it's not that competitive, so we work together well. Yeah. Uh, other sectors find it harder to collaborate. And government should not be an enemy. Uh, but government has to approach it in the right spirit and be open. And, you know, we don't have all the answers. Oh, by no means. I mean, there's tons of questions here. But we need a process by which we can start working through those, and it takes leadership. And um, we're, I'm hopeful that there will be a leader emerge that can help raise those questions and provide some of that uh, direction. Let's talk about Congress. <laughs> Okay. Oh, come on. You were, so, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is going to do your, your life story because you are a last of the Mohican, right? <laughs> Bipartisan, willing to work on both sides of the aisle, deeply understood national security issues, looking at what is the best, best for the American, the, the nation and the American people. Always working toward the greater good. The greater good, okay. exactly. And we, we're not going to, we're not going to get on the soapbox here, but we've got some challenges. With Congress, and one challenge we have right now is when it comes to cybersecurity, we are asking members of Congress to truly understand how important the internet has become to our nation's national security and our national economic security. 
we continue to see, shall we say, uneven levels of um, understanding and awareness on that. What would you like to see? What needs to be done to raise the water level so that we can start to talk about these issues in a way between the executive and legislative branch and with citizens that helps towards that goal of securing this key element of our nation's national and economic security? Well, that's a great question. Um, some people describe me more as a dinosaur than last of the Mohicans. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's true that there is a level of partisanship today that and polarization that is crippling the Congress and has made it um, truly uh, unable to, to address big issues. And it's, it, 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 it actually hurts. <laughs> it, it, I physically get sick thinking about what's happened and, and where it's going. Having said that, um, <clears throat> you know, in the 70s, they formed a select committee on intelligence. It's called the House Permit Select Committee on Intelligence. I chaired it. I followed, stood on the shoulders of great leaders and uh, starting with Ed Boland and Lou Stokes through Lee Hamilton and uh, a number, and Mike Rogers uh, was a good chair, but it evolved um, as it became more public and I think a bit too much so. Uh, because when there wasn't the potential for interviews and glee lights and you know television cameras, and it's all about recognition these days, um, <clears throat> we got a lot done. And it was on a generally bipartisan basis because we had perceived threat. And in that case, you know, Charlie Wilson sat right next to me. <clears throat> and we can talk about Charlie Wilson's war, but he sat right next to me. So I was involved in a lot of those uh, uh, endeavors. Uh, or I sat there during the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, I was chairman during the first Gulf War. I voted for the first Gulf War. I worked hard to pass resolutions to support the first Gulf War with President Bush in 41 because it was the right thing to do. Now, I, I think it, you may be at a point now they need to have a either select committee or permanent committee on cyber, because just as the Department of Defense has now made it a new domain, uh, I think it's such a critical domain that is beyond the, and, and encompasses everything. So it's, you can't have seven committees of jurisdiction that have cyber and telecom, energy, commerce, all these things. So I would think it's almost at that point that they can, should consider. Now, congressional reform is, <laughs> there are a lot of things that move, glaciers move faster than congressional reform. <laughs> the, the glaciers are melting, though. <laughs> yeah, they are. And uh, so maybe they are, but still moving faster than Congress. Even more so. <laughs> so the, but I think there has to be a, a more of a focus. And it can't be just a focus on elections, okay? So I applaud uh, Chairman Burr and Ranking Member Warner of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And having chaired the House, I was not always as generous to the Senate Committee. But I think of the two committees, they are by far the most serious and nonpartisan in their approach. I cannot make that same statement about the House today. I'm embarrassed by the House Intelligence Committee and the way it's operating. Uh, and it's, it's a national disgrace. Said it. There it is. Um, so I think there needs to be a <clears throat> a broader uh, meta type committee and small, uh, bipartisan, maybe evenly divided, uh, maybe co-chaired, Democrat and Republican. You know why not? 
that looks on the cyber issue in a the broader and then go systematically, strategically, what are the challenges, opportunities, uh, the stakeholders, uh, and, and, you know, go through a, a very methodical process of saying, okay, let's look at this uh, as, a, as a, a, almost the way we did when I was on the committee that wrote uh, Goldwater Nichols, reorganized the Department of Defense. Uh, I think it takes that kind of collaborative effort. By the way, John Kasich was on that committee. We were both young members of Congress at that time. And there was not, we didn't understand partisanship. You know, we had a mission. We had a big threat, uh, bombing in Beirut, and Bill Nichols, Democrat from Alabama, and Barry Goldwater, a Republican from Arizona. We reorganized the Department of Defense. Um, tried to do it in the intelligence world. So uh, I think it's time for that kind of um, super effort to do it, to rise. And I would implore the leadership of both houses of Congress, uh, don't care who's in charge, whether it's McConnell or Schumer or, you know, Pelosi, whoever the next speaker is after Paul Ryan, but they got to put this parson crap behind them and say, okay, we need to, to the, on this issue, because this is one that could be truly bipartisan. And then you bring in the Silicon Valleys and the experts from all over the world and defense. And if you did that in a serious, uh, systematic approach of information gathering and then trying to have a goal of, say, okay, how we order this, I think you could accomplish a great deal. So we often hear about the need for the cyber moonshot, but I think the more relevant question is how do we create the cyber equivalent of Goldwater Nichols? Because it's one of the best examples of Congress doing the right thing and helping the executive branch and bipartisan results that actually make our nation safer. So maybe the cyber Goldwater Nichols is what comes next. So we need a member of the Senate, a member of the House that you nominate, and we'll go and we'll go and track them down. And I nominate you going back into Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, you lost that Get one. It Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting. A, a, a truly tragic event of having... Uh, our security uh, failure that led to the bombing of the, the barracks in Beirut uh, in 1983. And um, that was enough to force the complete reorganization of the largest government agency uh, there is. Um, but I would tell you that having uh, Russian interference in a major election, but far beyond that, targeting critical infrastructures, targeting private citizens, targeting um, unknown systems with incredible capabilities, uh, I think is a far higher and more, a bigger red flag than we've seen in any of those prior events. Uh, and uh, the potential for a loss of life, the potential harm to our economy, to society, to how we deal with each other, civility in this country. I mean, this social media, this whole the internet's changed the world. And you know what? We got to catch up with it and then find a way to uh, better understand it and appreciate it and work with it in a way that's more constructive than it is trending. And why not Congress step up and say, okay, now's the time to do it? 
you raise a really interesting point in that last piece about the psychology, right? It's manipulating the psychology of the nation. And that is so much more detrimental than a static event um, and the, and the impact, but there is social media is truly impacting the psychology of our nation. And when that's manipulated by an external source with tremendous capabilities and malicious intent, it is arguably the worst situation of, of, um, degrading effects, um, and, and what's happening. Very well said. Dave, you are, uh, you are a dying breed. You are a dedicated public civil and civil servant. And, um, we, uh, we've always, uh, admired your work and we are uh, real fans of what you did in government, what you continue to do in the private sector. And so we thank you very much for coming on today and, uh, we wish you the best of luck and we hope the gas sector continues to benefit from your expertise and experience. Thank you for your leadership um, in every sector that you've been a part of. And while I know retirement is a good choice for you, it's a sad one for the nation <laughs> in, uh, in many ways. So you will certainly be missed. But thank you for taking the time to thank be you. on the show. Thank you, Beth. So as always, Dave made some fantastic points. And I think one of the key ones is this issue of how does the private sector deal with nation state level attacks because the approach we've taken up to this point is insufficient and as dave identified as the threat continues to grow and now we see countries with both the intent as well as the capability to attack our nation's critical infrastructure government has to do more and it isn't just about information sharing and we've talked in the past about how cyber is the only domain where we ask industry to protect itself and clearly, with the evolving threat and the nation-state activity, we have to be thinking more thoughtfully about how government and industry can work together. And this needs to be a mature conversation because people can't lose their minds about, oh, government's going to come in and you know start controlling my internet service, or the government's going to start looking at how much gas I use on a per-household basis or any of that stupidity. This is about where government and the private sector work together to secure our nation. And that's the conversation we need to have. And I think when people get to that place of stupidity, you know, we forget that 99% of the people who work in government have the, the best interest of the American citizens in mind. And as we've often laughed about, you know, the government really doesn't care. You're, you're sort of flattering yourself if you think they're really going to be looking at your phone records and they care about all that other information. The intent is to find information to help secure the nation. And I think we've got to be focused on that intent in order to have government and industry work more effectively together and not be so polarized in their vision for what this looks like. And I think a key part of that intent is greater transparency on government's part when it does work with industry, because the more transparent government can be, the more willing industry will be to collaborate with them in a way that goes far beyond what we're doing now. Because if we don't, then we're going to be in a situation like we did pre-9-11, where we talk about a threat, where we continue to worry about it, but we don't take the type of action necessary to actually make a difference. So the important piece to this is to remember where government can add value and government adds value in its knowledge of nation state activity. So nobody knows nation state actions and activities better than the government, both across nation states as well as across sectors, which leads us to the place where sectors have to be working together. We're, we've evolved out of this sector specific approach. 
uh, as we now see with the summit that DHS is hosting on July 31st, the importance of sectors working together, integrating and sharing their threat intelligence, their problems, their challenges, as well as uh, their solutions with government to work more effectively. And Dave made an impassioned and completely spot-on assessment on the role of Congress. We do need to have members and their staff better educated, better aware, but there also needs to be this willingness to look at how we're organized on cybersecurity and either identify we need to have this select committee, this cross-cutting committee, or much like Dave did in the 80s with Goldwater Nichols when we reorganized the Defense Department, look at what type of legislation can be done that serves a greater national good and not just a one-off look-at-me exercise on the Hill. And another piece to that, having served in the Senate uh, before, during, and after 9-11 and having worked on the legislation to create the Department of Homeland Security, we sometimes get our actions out of sequence. And what perhaps would have been more effective would have been to have created some type of commission or select committee to look at the threat that we were confronting at that time to then figure out what type of agency needed to be created, not just an agency in response to a threat. And I think we can learn from where we've had the success with Goldwater Nichols, and I won't call it a failure, but I'll call it a challenge in the creation of DHS as a reaction as opposed to a proactive uh, action. Let's also remember that in the case of the Pentagon, it was nearly four decades from when the Pentagon was created to the passage of Goldwater Nichols uh, that made the changes that were necessary. We don't have that luxury in the age of the internet when we're moving at the speed of light. So we've got to come up with a different approach. We absolutely do, because I think our greatest challenge, both in government and industry right now, is keeping up with the threat. We're never going to get ahead of it, but we absolutely have to keep aligned with it. Well, we appreciate you listening and hope you'll join us next time on Cybercast. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.